Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Boy, would the tone to start this show be different had the Jays not pulled off the comeback on Sunday, on Father's Day, because we set it up on Friday, coming off a 10-2 loss to the Orioles, and things only got worse. 12-3 loss to the Yankees on Friday, 4-0 loss to the Yankees on Saturday. And then things looked very, very bleak on Sunday. Until they didn't. 10-9, comeback victory, 7 unanswered to end the game. George Springer, homers in the 5th. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hits a grand slam in the 6th. Teoscar Hernandez hits a 3-run shot in the 6th. The Jays come all the way back. Or in the 7th, rather. The Jays come all the way back. 10-9 victory against the Yankees. Despite yet another not great start from Yusei Kikuchi, they salvage one in the series. Maybe at a different point in the year, you feel okay about that when you are now 11 games back in the division in June because you lost two of three of the Yankees. Maybe you feel a little differently. You can let us know how you feel. Keep your Send your text into 590-590 throughout the show. Uh, you can also tweet at me at Blake Murphy, ODC. To help us sort through the weekend, some of what it means and some of what we're looking forward to these next couple weeks, uh, he had a big piece drop on sportsnet.ca as I was just hosting the Raptors show with Shai Davidi. Uh, he was teeing up what the deadline could look like for the Blue Jays. Ben Nicholson-Smith, how are you, buddy? Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me in. Yes, I asked you if you had been here before and like just like trying to be nice and making sure you're situated in the studio. And then I remembered that one time when I guest hosted, you were also guest hosting that time. I think it was with JD. I was like, oh, yeah, you've definitely been here a million times over the years, probably. Yes, many, many times. Although it's funny, like I obviously have not been in here as often during COVID. So it's uh, it's a little different. Pretty much the same. I've worked here for like nine months and have not been in here a ton. Yeah. Uh, and I do, I don't know, a couple shows a day at this point. Oh, yeah. You're uh, on everything. Yeah, apparently. Um, so that weekend, do you feel any better at all about things, the way the Jays kind of salvaged that one and showed the fight back? Or or did the way the first, I don't know, what was it, 22 innings of that series just kind of take too much shine off the way the Jays have been playing for you? It was it was quite a contrast. They needed that win, I think, yesterday, um, just to be able to come back with that grand slam from Lourdes and then Teoscar to hit the three-run shot. They needed it because they were getting completely overmatched by the Yankees. The Yankees looked so good, uh, you know, despite their struggles toward the end of Sunday's game. But, you know, the Jays clearly at this point are going to have a long way to go if they're going to have any shot of winning the East. It really does look like it is the Yankees. And I think that even after seeing them and the Yankees win that series, we can say that with a little bit more confidence. But, of course, there's still a lot more baseball to play. Um, and so we're not just going to assume that the Yankees end up with that one. Um, but, yeah, it was great. It was a good, it was a strong finish to to the series and a really compelling game yesterday. We're going to have Chris Swick on later. Uh, we used to be a fan graphs at the same time together. And part of what I want to do with him is just bury the playoff odds. It's just like the, the fan graphs pages where it's like, oh, the Yankees only have a 92.5% chance of winning the division uh, with an 11 game lead. And having watched that team closely for three days, I would put that higher than 92.5%. Bury the playoff odds. 
uh, over at Fangraphs. Not that you shouldn't keep checking them and supporting Fangraphs, but just, you know, maybe you're more interested in the race for the AL Central title than the AL East title. Well, I checked that one today just because I was curious where the Jays stood, and I think they're like 6.5% to win the East. So that's, you know, it's very low. Now, that's not nothing. You know, it's, it's, there's a chance that they do that. It's not zero. And for everyone kind of wondering, the chances that the Jays make the playoffs in some form are like 90% plus right now. Yes. So they're in a great spot still. The only difference is, and it's a huge difference, the Yankees, as things stand, would have to win three playoff series to win the World Series, and the Jays would have to win four. Yes. And the Jays would have to win one playoff series to get into the quote-unquote real playoff, depending on, like I know it's a weird thing to contextualize because there was the year that, um, you know, hockey had the expanded playoff format and like those that didn't count except when you're saying the Leafs have lost in the first round six times in a row. Um, The NBA has added the play-in and still no one's really sure whether you should consider that, like on basketball reference or NBA.com, you can't, easily locate the stats for either because for those games because they're not a regular season game or a playoff game uh i do think obviously these will count as real playoff games they're wild card games uh it's just spiritually i don't know if people consider it the same if you get bounced in two games right like if you're the mariners and you're trying to end your playoff drought and you get swept does that actually count i think it actually would i think for baseball these would count to me it's like the 2020 playoffs ones where I think they have a banner hung at Rogers Center for making the 2020 Oof. playoffs. That's kind of pushing it. Yeah, that's like when the Raptors won the championship and they then like amalgamated all of the division banners into one. That's just like, here's a bunch of divisions we want. Individually, they don't matter anymore because we've won a championship. I feel like you can't have 1992 and 1993 World Series champions up there and then also made an expanded playoff format and lost in like, didn't it, it like the series lasted 27 hours or something yeah. like that? It was quick. It was very quick. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's where the Jays are headed right now is for one of those little three game series. Um, and so as you said, uh, Shai and I were looking at kind of the potential additions that this team will have to make because you have to win that. If you're going to likely play one of those three game series, then you need to put yourself in a great position and they have some work to do. No doubt. Um, so the gap This is where I'm curious as to what the timeline ends up looking like over these next five or six weeks, because if the division is starting to fall out of reach, and I mean that like in a hypothetical scenario where it's not 11 games already, you maybe feel some urgency to move now because you you can't let that gap get too large. I wonder if maybe that the gap that's there, if it's large enough that you, it almost eases up the urgency because now what's most important is making sure you make the right move and the best move. And you can give yourself a little bit of time to explore that where, you know, a month ago, I don't know that they would have been in the mix for a starting pitcher. And now it seems like something that they have to consider. Um, Could you see the division, the way it's getting a little out of hand, um, changing their urgency level, if not their priority level? Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to look at it. I think basically, oh man, like if they were, I could see it changing things because if they were exactly tied with with the Yankees today, then there might be more of a push to create separation between Toronto and New York. Right. Now, as things stand, the separation exists. So the Yankees are already in that great position. So um, clearly... You have to now. The goal is you're anticipating that there could very well be a wild card game, 
So how do you get through that wildcard series of three games? And hosting it probably then becomes the biggest priority, yeah. which means fighting off Tampa Bay and Boston and Cleveland. Yeah, but I think basically, you know, your needs are your needs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, it drastically changes things. And your front office is going to have a certain approach either way as far as what you can give up, um, as far as, you know, who you're going to target, what types of players, what types of bounce backs. So I, I think that basically their roster needs spell it out for the GM regardless of what the standings are. I do think the one difference might be is addressing the let let's say you have Kikuchi and Stripling as the four five in some order. I could see addressing the number four rotation spot being a bigger deal if the division was deemed realistic internally. Whereas with a three game series on tap, maybe those assets are better spent on bullpen arms to get you through that. And then you deal with a fourth game. Like, it, it seems a little weird because it, it almost seems like a loser mentality of like you're playing just to get through the wild card, but you also have to be realistic and you have to do what is best for you to get through the wild card. Um, so let's get into some of those specifics from the piece that you had with Shy uh, or have with Shy up at sportsset.ca. Uh, everyone can go check that out during the break or after the show. It's called Blue Jays Trade Deadline Primer How Can Toronto Bolster Its Roster This Summer? Uh, the short answer is a lot of ways because there are a lot of weaknesses. Um, how did you approach starting to sort through that when you, you know, do you list out all the weaknesses and then try to prioritize it in your head? How do you, how did you approach that exercise? Basically, just looking at the roster and thinking, okay, what can be improved here? What could mm-hmm. be better? And Everything. Then, yeah, and basically, yeah, at this point in the season, they still have a long way to go. And as much as they're they're in a good position, you can't presume that they're just going to win the necessary, you know, whatever it is, 50 games remaining, 54 or 55 games remaining to get into that spot. So they have tons of work to do. Then that means talking to people around the team, talking to people around the game, getting a sense of what the needs and opportunities might be for the Blue Jays. And then it's just mapping it out. At this point, they can do almost anything. So they could acquire a reliever, a starting pitcher, a position player. That's Those are the categories of players that exist in Major League Baseball. So they have a lot of different options. And then within that, they could go, you know, complimentary. We're going to get a Cole Calhoun and David Robertson. Or do you swing bigger? Do you end up looking at a Frankie Montas and trying to acquire someone with a bit more impact? Yeah, that's it's a tough one, and the impression that I get from the way you tweeted out, and again, I haven't read it because it came out as I was on the air, but the impression I got from how you framed it is that we can't rule out anything, and they're if if they haven't already, um, they're going to explore some of those bigger moves. Yeah, and they have already, and they will continue to do more. I mean, we've seen this front office act early at times. Um, they've they've already had some of these talks internally. They're, they're framing these different pathways for themselves within that front office right now. And a lot of this will be determined by how they play because best case scenario, this roster just steps up and, you know, you have you know, a lineup, which the lineup is actually doing this. And yeah, I mean, you could be optimistic about the lineup and maybe Kikuchi playing better. I don't think the I don't think that's an answer for the bullpen. I don't think that's an answer for the bullpen at all. Yeah. I mean, the bullpen, you really have to dream to imagine that it would be okay on its own, especially mm-hmm. with the Pearson news, which, you know, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, for know. anyone who doesn't know, Nate Pearson left his, uh, his appearance on the weekend after two pitches with shoulder soreness. We don't have an update yet, um, but it's Nate Pearson and it's yet another setback. So I don't know. At this point, he's just like 
you have a 40 man roster and Nate Pearson on the 60 day IL. That's how I, that's how I look at the 41 man roster from here on out. Yeah. Which is, that's just what it is until it changes. So that's fine. So, you know, the bullpen, I don't see a scenario, like you said, where they are just okay internally. And Max Casillo comes up yesterday First two batters he faces as a major leaguer, boom, over the wall. I felt a little bad on Thursday of last week. I think I had Keith Law on, and I asked him, like, I'm getting asked about Max Castillo all the time, and the numbers are the numbers. Like, why is he not a guy? And his answer was basically, because he's not a guy. Well, and and this is like the Adrian Hernandez. Everyone gets excited about that. Like, let's see that change up in the major leagues. Yeah. Now, I will say, though, with that one, if people are going to figure out a tricky pitch sooner than later, let's get those major league innings in before people figure it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly an argument to be made there. And they all will get their shot, I imagine. But you're going to have to add to the bullpen mm-hmm. is kind of the point we're circling around here. That's It's a fact. They yeah. will have to. And they will. They're going to add relievers. Like, that's a lock it in. It's just yeah. a question I mean, this of front office has more or less come out and told us that they believe they can cobble together a bullpen on the fly. The way yeah. they've approached free agency and the trade market in season, they've more or less said it. Right. And so uh, we'll see more of that. We'll see them uh, try to add and, and we'll see uh, newcomers join this bullpen in the course of the next six weeks or so. And then it's, you know, do they add starting pitching? Probably need to look at that. And then the the lefty back question is pretty interesting too. So on the, you mentioned Frankie Montes, who we have to dig in on just a little bit more because the people demand Frankie Montes content. Um, are you surprised that Mark Shapiro and the Oakland Athletics still have this good a relationship after this long, despite the casting of a bad guy as Mark Shapiro in Moneyball? I mean, I'm sure it... Um, like, that guy ended up being the bad guy on Franklin and Bash, the Mark Paul Gossler uh, legal procedural drama. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, he's you You cast a bad guy as Mark Shapiro. I, I'm surprised the relationship well, not, not only survived it, but continues to thrive. Uh, they certainly made a lot of trades. So I'm sure, I'm sure it took some uh, getting over initially, but uh, Mark Shapiro <laughs> probably not one to hold that against the A's for too long there. Uh, but Frankie Montes is a super interesting name. 353 ERA so far uh, this year. He's had sub four ERA in four of the last five seasons. Uh, the only season he didn't was the pandemic shortened season. Now, some caveats there with him only having thrown over 100 innings once during that stretch but this is a guy who can miss bats a guy who doesn't walk a lot um some home run stuff that won't play as well in toronto as it does in oakland uh, but when it comes to potential starting pitchers you could add on the market a guy who only makes five million and has one more year of arbitration control kind of fits the bill for what you think this front office would be looking for right oh he'd be great i mean yeah the numbers are are great him and luis castillo both are with their current teams or with whoever whoever acquires them through 2023. So those guys likely to be the most in-demand starting pitchers, barring some sort of surprise, um, and either one would be great. But of course, they're going to be very coveted, and Tyler Malley, who might be the third in that group, is not a candidate to come to the Blue Jays, just based on the fact that he was placed on the restricted list when the Reds visited Toronto last month. Safe to assume 
that's not going to be a possibility that the Jays look at. So. Reminder, national baseball media, this is not some advantage the Jays have. Yeah. The rules apply both ways, and it restricts who the Jays can acquire. Stop framing it like it's this huge competitive advantage. Oh, it's definitely not. Yeah, this is definitely not good. Even Montas didn't pitch in Toronto. Uh, you know, The Jays obviously will look into this and figure out what their um, status is. That will be part of what they have to do for any of these acquisitions. But Montas would be great. Castillo would be great. At the same time, you know, there's an argument to be made to just try to figure it out with the starting rotation or maybe go back end, um, you know, a bit less glamorous in that respect. We've seen them get struggling pitchers before like Robbie Ray and even Francisco Liriano a few years back. Maybe that's a play. And then you use your bigger chips for someone like a reliever. So in that case, maybe you're bumping Ross Stripling back to the bullpen which addresses the number five starter spot and the Ross Stripling sized hole you've seen in the bullpen lately where I know no one's been claimed off of waivers yet. They dealt Baraki to, to kind of solve that, but this constant back end bullpen churn, you're going to lose organizational depth eventually by doing that. And you're also going to, I mean, it just disrupts guys developmentally to, Hey, you're starting every fifth day and now you're up for an inning and now you're back down and we need you to wear it today. So you're going to get shelled. It's not the best of things. And if you address the rotation that gives you your Ross stripling back and the, the tough part about while well, striplings in the rotation now, and you have this hole in the bullpen is there are like four guys in baseball who do what Ross stripling does. They're not available on the trade market. Right. He's really good. I mean, there's, there's definitely value in him. Um, and, and he's continuing to show that. But, you know, we saw it even on the Friday night game against the Yankees where Trent Thornton comes in and that happened quick. I mean, they scored, I think it was five runs on 23 pitches from Thornton. Yeah. And, and look, like he rebounded Saturday. He's still an important, useful reliever for this team. But if that's stripling, do things unfold differently? You know, Casey Lawrence is absorbing these innings before he was options. So they just need, they just need more arms. They really do. They don't have enough. Uh, major league quality pitchers on this team. Uh, you know, you look at Trevor Richards going on the injured list with the neck. I mean, it's, they need more pitching. That's their biggest need. And I don't think Richards is, I'm not sure he's a major league caliber guy. I know he had a good year last year, but that's his only good season. And he got traded twice during that season. It's, uh, I don't know. It's a 659 ERA with the component ERA stuff that says it's been just as bad as that. The Thornton thing is interesting because, Obviously, he had been very good for this team uh, up to that point this year. And his ERA is still only a 405, but it kind of speaks to one of the, when we break the bullpen down into skills beyond just performance, not a lot of ability to miss bats at the back end of that bullpen. And Tim Mesa has improved in that regard. And I think you're very confident with Tim Mesa from the left side. Um, Romano misses bats and Jimmy Garcia has slowly got his strikeouts per nine back up to uh, nine. But the other guys who were supposed to miss bats in this bullpen were a Ryan Brocky from the left side, a Julian Merriweather from the right side, uh, an Andrew Vasquez, if he could ever figure out the control around that, what could have been a wipeout slider. Um, and then you've got guys like Phelps, Simber, Thornton, who are, have been good, but don't miss bats really and that can get you into some trouble uh, I know Adam Simber has been very good David Phelps has been phenomenal but situationally and against a team like the Yankees like you you'd have to think if they hit the reliever market it's not going to be more Adam Simber types they need someone who can strike guys out oh absolutely I mean even just going back to that scenario which again is pretty likely that they're in a three-game series 
in the playoffs. And let's say you're using Jose Barrios to get you in and you want to establish your seating. So he's pitching 162. Then game one, you go Gosman. Game two, you go Manoa. You're split. So 1-1 going into game three. Okay, so let's say it's Stripling who's starting that game for you. He runs through the lineup one time, two times max. Yeah. Now what? Like, how do you get through innings five, six, seven, eight, nine with your season on the line and you've got Jordan Romano available for, I don't know, five outs there. So yesterday was the first time he's gone more than it. Yeah. And you don't, you don't want to overdo it with him either. So, and and of course, playoff. he probably pitched in one of those earlier games in the series too. If you split them and and that's fine. That's the time to do it. And and you just let them air it out. But even then you've got to get through those middle innings. And if you're the Jays, you do not want to be handing it over to, uh, you know, I don't know, Max Castillo and Andrew (laughs) Vasquez and Jeremy Beasley. Like you need to find some upgrades and and this is the chance they've got some time, six weeks, but that's very important for them. Yeah. It's uh, Jordan Romano has been their, their highest leverage reliever, obviously one of the highest leverage relievers in all of baseball, but their next three have been Jimmy Garcia, Adam Simber, and Tim Meza. Meza, who they're going to deploy situationally. Jimmy Garcia, who has been mostly really good other than that one blow up recently. Uh, but you're talking about guys that after after Jimmy Garcia, again, Simber doesn't really miss bats. He's a pitch to contact guy. Got a couple of big strikeouts on the weekend, but that's not going to be the uh, the norm for him. And then again, Phelps is the next highest leverage guy in terms of how Charlie's used them. Uh, so yeah, you, you've got to find someone who can... I worry too, like they've used Phelps kind of as the fireman when they ha- they need someone to come in with men on base because he's been so good. And I believe he's still only allowed one inherited runner on the season. He's been one of the best in, in terms of that. But... Ideally, the guy you bring in with men on base to fight the fires has fire of his own to fight it with. Like, yes, runner on first or bases loaded, you bring Simber in to try to get the ground ball on the double play, sure. But that's traditionally your stopper or your firefighter is a bat missing guy. Exactly. And this is, you know, if they had had Julian Merriweather or Nate Pearson, then we might be having a different discussion right now. The reality is those guys did not step up. So this is where the Jays have to go out and acquire some help. And that's that's going to be a big need for them, maybe the biggest. This early in the year, and I know it's not it's not early in baseball terms, but it it generally, you know, I, if you talk about trades this time of year, people tend to say, well, it's still it's so early. Most teams will want the extra information, extra time, and if you wait another six weeks to make a move, that's another six weeks you don't have to pay a guy. So maybe you're if you've got five million left in the budget, that goes further on. August 2nd than it does on June 20th in terms of proration and stuff. However, we're about at the anniversary of the Adam Simber and and Dickerson trade from last year. And the Trevor Richards trade wasn't far behind that. If I'm remembering correctly, I look around the league, there are already at least 10 teams that know they're not making the playoffs. Even with the expanded playoff format, you've got some teams that you know are sellers for sure. Are there bullpen names that have stood out to you as you you look through some of those teams as guys you either you like personally or you could see the Jays being interested in? Like that's a Jays type of guy. Yeah, I, I think the Jays type of guy is probably more like the bounce back, the guy who has a six ERA and they acquire him and it's like, what? Like when they got Joaquin Benoit and, you know, even last year, Brad Hand, Joaquin Soria, like we could see one of those. I will not be surprised. And that might be the kind of player who's available now. Um, you know, when it comes to the true impact relievers, I, I do look at someone like David Robertson. Mm-hmm. He's obviously a veteran, very established, 34 strikeouts in 24 and two thirds innings with the Cubs, one eight two ERA. 
But my real guy would be David Bednar of the Pirates. I mean, he's just been phenomenal. I think that would be the the best ad that you could possibly make. But of course, he's got years of control left in Pittsburgh. They are not going to give him away. I mean, it's it would be a very big ask, I would think. Yeah, because he's making the minimum still, or, or just a shade above the minimum with the the raises or whatever. Um, right. I think seven fifteen. It's not much. So you know, is that something where? You know, do you think about including Pearson in one of these deals? Because I certainly would, but his value is low. So, yeah. you know, teams have asked about him before. Um, the Jays have some interesting calls to make here. Yeah, uh, Bedner is a tough one. Just, again, it, not even arbitration eligible this offseason. So uh, a cheap team like the Pirates might not let him shake loose. This is always the issue too, right? Is like the the bad teams don't have a lot of good pitchers. Yeah. Um, but this is where prospects speak uh, a lot right and it's not it doesn't even have to be prospects it's not like the asking price on Simber and Richards last year it, however well Rowdy Tellez is hitting now uh it's not like at the time it seemed like an astronomical ask uh so let's let's sit with that let's sit with some of these names we'll take a break and when we come back we'll kick more of this around we're also going to talk about a potential jersey curse and we're going to play a little Black Blue Jays jersey trivia. Oh, great. As well. Uh, so all that and more with Ben Nicholson-Smith as he stays with us on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca at the Letters Podcast. And this past weekend and a bunch of times this year, color commentary alongside Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Ben, a man of many jobs. That's right. How are you enjoying the color commentary stuff next to the Ben and Ben Although I, I say it like that, and that could mean any number of combinations that we have. It I could. apologize. Yeah, no, all good. I mean, um, yeah, it, no, it's so fun. It's really fun. Ben Wagner does a great job hosting and bringing me in. And I think, you know, what I like about it is we do so much talking about baseball. I talk about baseball all the time. I talk about what might happen or about what just happened. And it is fun to talk about what is presently happening right now in this game. And I think when you're in the booth for those games, you are talking about this moment, this pitch, and that was really fun. Yeah, I, it seems really cool. I, I've gotten to sit next to Ben Wagner in the booth a couple times if I do pre and post game. Um, it's first of all, he's a machine. I don't the amount of stuff that he has in his head at any given time, and the way he works that iPad is incredible. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's very cool to be that narrowed in on each pitch and each plate appearance and the way baseball paces itself you really get to appreciate each nuance where like i've done and not at any high level like we're talking youth sports but like i've done basketball and hockey um play by play and color commentary and they're a lot of fun because they're high energy and they're fast moving but you rarely get to spend time with any one thing because it's on like a play happens it could be the greatest X's and O's play ever drawn up. And then you've got about 15 seconds before the next shot goes up. Yeah. So you don't get to spend a lot of time with it. It's cool. It, yeah. It's a big, it's a big difference. And I think it's why we all got into sports. I mean, I like talking about competitive balance taxes as we, <laughs> as we did our share of during the lockout. And I know you like the intricacies of you know the NBA salary cap structure or whatever the case. Um, 
trades. We, we love trades. We're talking about trades right now. But it's really about the game. It's the game on the field, pitch to pitch. It's what happened, What happens when Josh Donaldson slams a bat down or, you know, Glaber Torres is chirping the Blue Jays. That stuff is really interesting. Josh Donaldson, what a... What a turn of how that crowd responds to the exact same antics uh, a couple years later in a different uniform. That's right. He's the villain now. Yeah. Well, that's he was born to play that. He just needs to be a little careful because uh, post-career, he's a man without a home, and we know he has Toronto ties. So might want to keep this fan base on your good side. Might have to leave the Yankees to do that, though. That's true. As long as he's wearing pinstripes, I, I don't think he's probably going to get a lot of... Uh, a lot of support, especially, yeah, some of his uh, actions in the last month with Tim Anderson. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, clearly, I, I think, has, has probably seen a lot of those fans take a different side right now. Yeah, Tim Anderson, who we're just never going to get to see as Blue Jays fans, still on the IL. He went on the IL just before the last series between the two teams remains there for this one with a ton of other White Sox, a very banged-up White Sox team, which... Doesn't necessarily mean a lot. The Minnesota Twins came to Toronto very thinned out due to injury and the restricted list and took two or three, so you can't take anything for granted. But uh, we'll tee up the tonight's game and the White Sox lineup in a little bit. But if you haven't caught up with them, Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandel, Eloy Jimenez, all on the IL out of their lineup, and then Hendricks, Bummer, and Crick all gone from their bullpen right now on the IL. So uh, you think the Jays' bullpen's in dire straits with all the up and down from Buffalo. Imagine losing Liam Hendricks, Bummer and Crick, three of your highest leverage guys uh, all at once on top of a couple guys out of the, out of the lineup. Um, so we were talking about trade stuff in the last segment, but there might be an easier solution to what's plagued the Blue Jays. And it's never wear the red jerseys again. Oh, that would help. That would help. You think they're cursed. Well, I, um, yeah, it's, it really, I, I do not like them aesthetically. Um, I think they're the Toronto Blue Jays. I think they look better in blue. Um, and so I think my bias against them has led me to uh, push the narrative that the red jerseys are cursed. I understand it. I don't, I don't love them. I like the hat fine. Uh, yeah, I think as a novelty, it's all fine. Like if they literally did it once a year on Canada Day, no problem. No problem with that whatsoever. I just, when they're wearing it more often, and this is, you know, obviously this is a very superficial kind of complaint, but I, I think the Jays have great home jer jerseys. Their home whites are phenomenal. The blue alternates, great. The baby blues, okay, I can get behind that. I, I just don't like the red jerseys. And the white front panel hat's their best hat. It's uh, it's a great hat. They have many great hats. That is, I like the Father's Day hats they're wearing yesterday. I thought that was a good look. But the um, the Reds, and I know, I know, I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not alone. The Reds are. Well, is <laughs> this is this reporting now? Is this? Uh... Well, I mean, take any sample of people. Take any sample of fans. Yeah. The, uh, there are going to be some fans who don't like them. Take any sample of people within the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Some of them don't like the fact that they wear these Reds yeah. either. We but... keep hearing the the advertisement for the George Springer jersey on Canada Day, and it's uh, and he he acts shocked that they're giving away a George Springer jersey. The real thing that he was shocked about when they were recording that is the red jersey being worn again. But people. <laughs> they they just edited they chopped that up in a way that made a good commercial instead. We're not supposed to reveal that, but behind the scenes. Yeah. That's um, right. Okay. So you texted me when you were talking about the red jerseys and said you'd be okay with 
then bringing back the black jerseys, which they wore from 2004 to 2011. That's right. Now, my proposal for this, and I have, I have proposed this to people within the Jays, I think they should bring back the black jerseys once a year. And exactly once. I don't want to see them more often. I don't think they're a great jersey. I want to see them once a year. But I would love to see Vladdy, Bo, Springer, Manoa in the black jerseys. That would be amazing. But just once. Okay. So they wore those jerseys from 2004 to 2011. Not well liked at the time. It's kind of like some of the Raptors jerseys where it was like, eh, we don't like this. And then it becomes a cool throwback. I, I think of the black jerseys, the hat is the part that that plays up best. Maybe right. I just like black hats. I'm wearing a black hat right now. Um, who, Which Blue Jay do you most associate with those black jerseys? Oh, man. I think it'd be Vernon Wells. I think so, too. Yeah. I know that was there was a lot of Halliday in that era still, but Halliday's bigger than any one jersey in my head, and he spans back far enough to be in, like, the really old school jerseys. Yeah. So I think it's a Vernon Wells. Aaron Hill a little bit, too. Batista a little bit. Okay, so breakout. I want to do some trivia with you about these jerseys. Okay. So, they, again, they wore them 2004 to 2011. So we're only counting the stats from 2004 to 2011. Yep. We'll start off very easy. During this era, this player led the team in home runs, games played, hits, and wins above replacement in the black jersey era. Vernon Wells. Yes. This player led them in stolen bases. Mm. Uh, Alex Rios? Yes, 112. Uh, this person led them in batting average. Hmm. Part of a notable platoon. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Left field. Frank Catalanato. Yes. Okay. Hit 299 in the Black Jays era. Good hit. Yeah. Um, this player led them in OBP slugging and OPS during that era. Um. OBP slugging and OPS. I'm presuming it's not Wells or Rios because we already said them. Um, You've already said his name. Oh, Batista? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did a one-year cutoff. If we went really light with the cutoff, Brett Laurie actually, like the, his <laughs> his debut in 2011 is just slightly better than uh, Jose Batista because Batista's sample gets the like bad version of him uh, snuck in as well. Um, hit by a pitch. Reed Johnson. Yes. 60. Wow. That's that Anthony Rizzo-esque. <laughs> um, okay. The other side, we'll, we'll go to the pitching side now. We'll, another very easy one to start. Most games started, most complete games, most innings pitched, most strikeouts, most wins above replacement. Holiday. Most appearances. Fraser. Yes, 455. Wow. He's the all-time leader, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Uh, most saves. Casey Jansen. Nope. Uh, okay. BJ Ryan. Yes. Only 75. That's how bad the closer position huh. was in the in the black jersey era is the most saves over that eight season stretch is 75 total. Where was Jansen on that list? Uh, I don't have it handy, but okay. I'd imagine he was right near the top. Yeah. Um, okay. So this player is top three in ERA. Uh, he's the other one in the top three in ERA with Halliday and BJ Ryan. And he's second to Jason Frazier in appearances. Okay. Um, Justin Spire. No. Lefty. Vinny Chalk. No. Uh, oh, Scott Downs. Scott Downs. There you go. I mean, the next hint was going to be Swingman. Right. Okay, Scott a Downs. couple starts in there. Yeah. Uh, no lips <laughs> could have been a hint. Uh, he had very uh, no lips. And this is a very random one. This pitcher in that era had 10 box and nobody else had more than three. 
Lefty or righty? Lefty. Shasin? Ted Lilly. Oh, wow. Ten bucks. Wow. What are you doing up there, man? Uh, well, interesting. I wonder if it was a deception thing where I'm sure uh, I'm sure Mike Wilner would know this. But, um, yeah, I'm not uh, – that's that's a good one. That's, I, I like that. You know, you, don't, you want to get some in any kind of trivia contest, but you don't want to get them all. Exactly. So you stump me with a few. Exactly. You don't it's, – if it's too hard, it's just mean. Yeah. I've done that before. Like, during the pandemic, we all obviously had to stretch for some content, and I did some trivia stuff when I was at The Athletic, and some of it was like people were getting like 9 out of 40. I was like, oops. Uh, sorry. We've got some texts in the text line. You keep those coming to 590, well, that one is uh, someone texted the wrong number uh, clearly. Um, so that's I won't read that out, uh, but <laughs> that's funny. Um, stop this nonsense. This is from Mark in Prince Edward County. Stop this nonsense about the Vernon Wells era jerseys being nice. They were not. Neither was the awful tea that came with it. Very forgettable era for a lot of reasons. I would ask Mark then what he, he also wants to burn the red jerseys, though. Okay. So what does Mark want for a City Connect? I know you you tweeted this week that we're probably not getting a City Connect this year, but I'm at a if Mark doesn't want the black jersey, he doesn't want the red jersey, I can't imagine we're getting the muscular Blue Jay back at any point. Uh what are we doing for a City Connect then? Yeah, see even the muscular T-Bird, I don't even want to see that once a year. Um <laughs> so I think that's one that just stays on the shelf. Um now, yeah, City Connect, there's so much potential there. I mean, there there are just so much, so much baseball history that you could pull on in Canada, whether it's, you know, the Montreal Royals, whether it's the Toronto Blue Jays, whether it's uh, teams from across the country, different eras that you could pull from, uh, different artists from different communities that you yeah. could pull from. So we're actually yeah. having one of those on uh, tomorrow. Um, awesome. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. There's an indigenous artist who did up a, a Toronto Blue Jays alternate logos and and jerseys uh for indigenous people's day tomorrow i saw those i retweeted them in fact for anyone looking to see them they're great great uh looking designs yes so we'll have that uh cody parkin on tomorrow to talk a little bit about those designs and uh his jays fandom so yeah a lot of ways you can go with this um you could throw some references into the to the chatham all-stars the team that kind of broke the color barrier here and uh we this weekend was the um canadian baseball hall of fame uh, weekend and I we had uh, Scott Crawford, the director of operations, there on, and I, I tried to tried to push the agenda for the Chatham Colored All Stars to go in in 2023. Maybe there's a way to tie all of that in uh, together. A lot of options here, a lot enough options that we don't have to have a red jersey. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, okay, more uh, texts in the text line. Um, you got to sign them. Especially if it's a bad one. I'm not reading it out unless you sign it. I can I can single you out. Um, the doctor says, Blake and Ben, if you're the Blue Jays, you have to stop wearing the red jerseys. That's a doctor's prescription right there. Doctor's orders. Again, I don't know what the... I don't know what the, the credentials are there for that doctor. Um, this person says they have a black Brett Lorry. Not Laurie. a doctor. <laughs> Brett, black Brett Lorry jersey. He was called up right at the end of the year, and then they switched to blue. I actually do remember that. I... Uh, I think I was at a stag and doe or something like that. And I won a black Brett Laurie Jersey, but it was after they had switched the jerseys uh, and was like, Oh, this Jersey's outdated uh, immediately. 
Uh, MP in Scarborough asks, they're in Chicago today. Why not just bring back Hendricks and Graveman when they leave? Hendricks on the IL, but could you see Graveman being a target if the White Sox were to slide? Now, if I'm not mistaken, he was placed on the restricted list Ooh, when the Jays visited Toronto. So again, to underscore that point, it's like some of these guys are just not considerations. And uh, we should double check that. But I, I believe that's the case. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, we we you have to go through. This is the the tough thing, too, of like if uh, if a guy hasn't played in Toronto yet this year. Uh, yes, he was on the restricted list. Him and Dylan Cease, yeah. um, who the Jays will see this week. One more, and oh, I was hoping Reed Johnson was going to be referenced, and personally, I hate the new baby blues. Clayton from PEI. I thought that was going to be all one thought. Um, Derek and Rockwood thinks of Troy Gloss with the nice. black jerseys. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, we need multiple bullpen arms, possible bullpen arms, all caps, Cincinnati Reds, KC Royals. Uh, the Reds, I mean, sure, if you're if you're working out a Luis Castillo deal, Maybe you can get them to to throw something else in. Toss in a reliever and Joey Votto. And yeah, throw. yeah. There you Eat go. Joey Votto's money and they'll give you whatever you want, probably. I would think so. Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, this is what you have to do. And that person didn't sign their name. But basically, this is where you're at is over the next six weeks, you fire up the standings. You click on the team that is doing poorly. And you pick the one player on their team who's not playing poorly. Um, you know, even the Royals, like Josh Stomont has a monstrous walk rate. It's like, he has the best surface numbers. He's maybe the guy you want. You you want to go down the road with Joel Piamps again? Bad teams don't have a lot of good pitchers. They really don't. And it's, it's remarkable. I was looking through in the course of writing this article with shy, you know, trying to find some different candidates to be traded. And I'm just not seeing a lot of pitching out there. I'm not seeing good arms. Whereas actually on the lefty bat side of things, if they want to go down that path, there are going to be some options. So let's go down that path then. Let's uh, let's take a look at some of those um, because this is the thing. Everyone's stressed about the bullpen right now in the rotation, but if there aren't a lot of bullpen arms and starting pitching is so expensive, a 7-5 win counts the same as a 5-3 win. If you can be even better at the plate and upgrade that, if you could bump Rymel Tapia into the Bradley Zimmer spot and upgrade that Rymel Tapia spot, maybe upgrade that Otto Lopez spot. I know you guys swear he was here this weekend, he should have played Friday, by the way, he, in my opinion. With Boba Shed out? Once they got down 10-2 and 12-3, I mean, let's let's see this guy get it. He has had one major league plate appearance. Yeah, I'd imagine it was in the same situation last year. Well, yeah, and he, he had a, and I know he hasn't played very well in AAA, and I totally agree that they could and should upgrade over him. But if he's in the major leagues, you're down 12-3 to the Yankees. That's yeah. a good chance to get him in. Now, is that the biggest problem the Blue Jays had this weekend? Far from it, but that's uh, that's <laughs> Maybe they were saving him in case they needed him as a reliever. You know, yeah. At that point, you satisfy the requirements. I think you got to be down six runs to use a player as a reliever. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I wonder what his fastball clock's in at. Um, so from the left side of the plate or switch hitting side, I don't. I know that there was the the thought before the season that a first base slash DH type would make sense, but when you look at the team's desire to get Vlad, George Springer, and Teoscar occasional DH days, and then to keep Kirk's bat in the lineup when he's not behind the plate, do you move that to DH or positionally versatile spot instead of the or sorry outfield is what I meant to say or positionally versatile spot rather than the first base slash DH? Yeah, I think outfield is the priority. Um, you know, of course, in 
theory, could you add a first baseman? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to rule that out entirely. Um, and, and part of this, too, depends on how guys like Kevin Biggio play. Tapia, both of them have been doing better. If they keep doing that, you probably don't feel that much urgency. If they take a step back, you need to make moves. And so outfielders that fit that kind of description, Andrew Benintendi's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Tyler Naquin's a free agent after this year. Cole Calhoun. So these guys could be fits for the Jays. Um, they're surveying that market right now. Ben Gamble's on the injured list, but he would fit that too. And then you've got switch hitters like Josh Bell, Robbie Grossman, Ian Happ. Those guys should be out there, should be available. So there's some actual inventory. There's some selection. And the Jays can figure out you know, what metrics look good, what fits as far as you know leadership and clubhouse and all those different things. They can actually have some choice here. And they only need one, whereas in the pitching staff, they'll need multiple pitchers. Yeah, that's a, the, the Ian Happ one's tough because like, I I love the way his bat fits in and his approach fits in. uh, But I don't know if like another guy who's a serviceable left fielder, but every time he goes in center field, you're like, Ooh, defensive replacement. Like the the Rymel Tapia experiment as a fill in center fielder ended so quickly. Right. But Uh, I mean, but if let's say Happ would be an upgrade over Tapia, let's say he takes over that roster spot, then all right, then you're still better, even if it would be likely somewhat marginal. Um, but it's just any upgrade you can yeah. find. And, and the the upgrade on the offensive side there is very significant yes. to, from Tapia to Hap. Hap, um, having a career year so far, actually, in terms of WRC Plus at 134, um, walks a ton. So when you talk, I know the Jays, since that May 24th cutoff where the offense kind of turned around, uh, they've done a much better job drawing walks and limiting strikeouts. But Hap would help in that regard a ton. Almost a 14% walk rate this year. Uh, can use his legs a little bit on the bases in a way that the Jays don't do a ton already, too. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm narrowing in on that one. And one more year of ARB control. I think Hap and David Robertson, like if they got that, that would be a B-plus trade deadline to me. I mean, you might need to add one other reliever in there. Um and of course, there's the rotation question, but that's you're starting to get somewhere if you're looking at the players like that. Yeah, and David Robert, maybe you could get them both at the same time, like like all in one fell swoop, do the Simber Dickerson thing, uh, price tag higher on Happ and Robertson, I'd imagine. Um, Robertson, like a small concern with how many guys he's walking, but he also misses enough bats to to get his way out of it. Um, and that's not a ton of. I know fans don't really care about the dollar amount, but if we're being realistic that the team is operating under some budget constraints, those two guys combined make just a hair over 10 million. And then you're talking about that we're almost at the halfway point of the season. So really let's say they have 5 million left in the budget that gets you happen Robertson. And that's before factoring in. Do you send out Tapia in that trade? Something like that, which I think is a possibility that they have to be open to and would be open to. And, you know, honestly, I don't think that money's going to be an issue for the Jays right now. Like, if they even needed to take on a quote-unquote bad contract along with the guys they actually want, I think that's on the table. And that's, you know, like like a lot of stuff in this piece that's kind of informed speculation here, but they've really operated like a big market team. I don't think that they're going to have to really pinch pennies. Um, this is a question that maybe it's unfair to ask you on the fly, but have you heard anything at all about whether the Ryu injury is going to give them some budgetary flexibility for next year because of insurance purposes. Like if he's, would he have to be ruled out completely for next year? How, how does that work? Or what are we looking for on, on that front? 
Great question. Totally fair question. I don't have much okay. to offer on it, but um, I tried. Yeah. I was like reading the CBA and stuff, and, and like trying to find the relevant sections. Um, but obviously, like, there's not a salary cap, so like, it's not quite as clear how it would actually affect the team it's like there's language in there about insuring contracts and stuff like that or if a player prematurely retires but how that works internally with their own budgets is much less clear yeah so it would have to be if in some cases these contracts are insured and there can be uh, money coming back to the team my understanding is in most cases it's not and that money's just gone and it's gone there you go um 80 million so (sighs) I guess we'll end the trade talk with this. And we've identified a couple guys who in Montes and Castillo and even Ian Happ who have a little bit of control beyond this year, the Jose Barrios situation where you're trading for them for a year and a half. And yes, you're going to have to pay them a raise the following season through arbitration. Matt Chapman qualifies as well. Do you think that becomes not, not that they'd walk away from someone who doesn't meet that criteria, but if they're looking at a starting pitcher and now Ryu is no in no way in the plans for 2023, uh, does that become something that they they put an emphasis on? Well, it's a good point that, you know, this Ryu injury does impact how the rotation looks beyond this year. Because there's nobody immediate in the pipeline. Ricky Tiedemann is still in high A, as fun yeah, as he is. It's, exactly. And so you don't want to assume that, that you know, he's going to be there. Um, you look at AAA, it's not like you're necessarily expecting Casey Lawrence to have a spot in that rotation next year, right? So they they likely will have to go external um, to, to help out the rotation, and why not do it now? They've talked about in the past how every trade deadline is a chance to improve the team on an ongoing basis. That's certainly true this year. So I think it's something that they should be open to. Um, and, and really, if you're going to be trading a Jordan Groshans, for example, or a Nate Pearson, then you probably want to get something that's more than just a rental. And Mm -hmm. that's where those one-plus players almost become the most coveted players at the deadline because they actually can pull in some of those bigger prospects. Yeah, the the text line is ready to trade Nate Pearson for you if you can throw 75 at this point. So uh, the the appetite there is all over the place. Uh, Again, your piece with Shy is up at sportsnet.ca. Blue Jays trade deadline primer. How can Toronto bolster its roster this summer? Ben, appreciate you taking all the time this afternoon. And uh, keep up all the great work, man, in all your jobs. Podcast, writing, color commentary, radio. What doesn't he do? Well, I've been keeping busy, which is good. So have you. So keep up the great show here. Happy to join you. Ben Nicholson Stripling. uh, (laughs) All over the place, role-wise. Thanks so much, man. Uh, We're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk to Chris Swick of Yahoo Sports. Uh, He is an angry White Sox fan in addition to being a very good baseball analyst. That's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. Bringing the mood down a little bit to try to match. Look, I, I think of... I know the Chicago White Sox have a very cool aesthetic. I am an emo kid and I know Radiohead is an emo um however the first time I ever went at this point it was still um not Comerica U.S. Cellular it was a rainy day and I walked up to this big gray and black stadium in a white and black jersey and just felt very at home so that mood kind of fits and the mood of the Chicago White Sox fan base right now 
suits me. Uh, that's why I'm going to Chicago this weekend in part uh, and taking in some White Sox action. Joining me to take a look at the White Sox side of things and talk some Jays and Yankees. He's the associate manager at Yahoo Sports. He's my old pal from Fangraphs, Chris Swick. How are you, man? Um, I'm doing great. I know you said we're bringing down the mood, but that that's one of my favorite Radiohead songs. So I'm I'm kind of fired up, actually. I'm ready to go. I know it's one of your favorite Radiohead <laughs> songs. I, I do the homework here, buddy. Awesome. I appreciate that. I, it was either that or the, the Pokemon theme. Oh, well, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Am I understanding, <laughs> like, like those tweets are in earnest? You're like one of the highest ranked Pokemon players in the world? Oh, it, it is. It is in earnest. Um, I don't know that being between 2,000 and 3,000 is much to brag about. But, uh, yeah, I have I have some issues outside of baseball, and it's my obsession with playing Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, look, as, as far as obsessions go, baseball is a good <laughs> one to have. And I, I've never been a Pokemon guy, but it seems pretty harmless. I know that, like, there was a report at one point that the Pokemon Go thing was doing a really good job getting people outside and active. So uh, all for it. All for it, man. I, I also... The fact that there are 905, 905 Pokemon and like the, one of the area codes around here is 905 and the minor league basketball team is called the 905. I feel like there's some sort of connection there that I just haven't made yet. Yeah, there's got to be uh, maybe maybe a lot of Canadian people have joined the team and we just don't know about it. <laughs> uh, it yeah, and there's a Canadian there's a Pokemon we don't know is Canadian. Um, but <laughs> it's buried in the <laughs> in the backstory somewhere. Um, okay, I want to talk to you about the White Sox today. But before we before we look forward, I want to look back at the the weekend and and kind of the season that's been for the New York Yankees so far. It feels like not that I hadn't watched the Yankees prior to this this season, but when you watch every inning and every plate appearance against them, it feels like a miracle the Jays even escaped with one, and that one they needed a dramatic high scoring comeback to escape with how how big does this Yankees dominance feel to you so far this year I I think you try and break down what they're doing and you look at all the numbers and everything is telling you that this is legitimate and they're they're that they're this good um you know obviously I think I think we knew like this was an offense capable of, of hitting well I think it's been that way for the last few seasons um despite kind of the the hate Giancarlo Stanton gets when he's going poorly. I, I think, you know, the bigger surprise to me uh, has really been that rotation. Um, getting fantastic performances from Nestor Cortez, getting a different version of Jordan Montgomery, which has been uh, far more effective than than I imagined uh, he, he would be as a pitcher. Um, that really has been the surprising part that has carried them. And then uh, guess what? When, you know, after Nestor Cortez throws seven scoreless, that bullpen is just fantastic, even with Aroldis Chapman having a, a weird off year and, and being a little dinged. So there are no obvious major issues with them. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, every every team has weakness, and I'm sure that they'll be looking at the trade deadline to shore a couple things up, but they also strike me as a team that is, as long as they stay relatively healthy, they, they probably don't need to do much at the deadline because they, they just have a really solid team overall. They do, and they have an 11-game lead in the AL East already. So, uh, you know, their playoff seeding could be tied up relatively early. Um, Chris, we were both at Fangraphs before. I know that the playoff odds are something that 
we should probably only look at later in the year and they are to be taken with a grain of salt and understanding probabilities and things like that. However, 11-game lead in the ALEs. Do we just close up the playoff odds sometime soon here? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say yes because there there still is a lot of season, but also, like, it's 11 games. I, you know, I, I feel good about the Blue Jays being a, a, a good team, a, a very solid team. Um, yeah, I think you could say the same about, you know, the, the Rays and Red Sox, even if the, the records, um, they, they have even more ground to make up, clearly. But 11 games, the Yankees would need, would need a lot to go wrong. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you get a, a pitching injury or two in there, uh, closes the gap a little bit. But even then, uh, 11 games is is a lot, especially when not when very little of it looks like a fluke at this point. For sure. And and I've seen some people point out, oh, well, the Yankees could get injured. Sure, every team could get injured. It's baseball, mm-hmm. man. These are arms thrown 100 miles an hour. Um, so on the Jays' side, you, you sound fairly confident the Jays will continue to play well. Their offense has really turned around the last month. Um, I think we all expected this offense to be pretty good heading into the season. But given the cold start and, and the occasional quiet spells, and then this last month, um, where's your confidence level on this Jays offense being, let's say, a, a top five offense in baseball? I still feel good ab- about that happening. I just I look up and down that roster, and there's there's still so much hitting talent there. Um, I, I know, you know, Vlad is a, a guy that I've really made a point to try and watch as much as possible the last couple seasons. Um, I, I know from an average standpoint, it hasn't been there for him as much this year. Um, I, I, I don't have a great explanation for that. I just know, I just remember last year when, he, when obviously, you know, he had a tremendous season, <laughs> his slumps would last like four games. And it feels like he's had some slightly elongated slumps in there. Um, you know, I know he had that, I think he got hit on the hand a couple of weeks back. I don't know if that played a role. Um, so I, all this is to say, I think he's going to get, I think he's going to hit like the MVP candidate he was last year. Still like George Springer, Bo Bichette, um, you know, Tasker Hernandez is, he's going to run into 30 home runs somehow. Um, he seems to do it every year. So still like them as a top five offense. I think, you know, the bigger issues are are probably elsewhere on the roster, which uh, I'm assuming you, you are well aware of at this point. Sure am. Hyunjin Ryu done for the season and probably yeah. next year. Yusei Kikuchi, uh, no trust in his fastball and can't get out of the fourth inning. Uh, Kevin Gosman, very up and down now. Uh, I guess Jose Barrios and Alec Manoel just have to sweep a three-game wildcard series in two games uh, is what it's going to come down to. Uh, there is... You know, there are easier parts of the schedule ahead for the Jays. They have played a disproportionate share of their games against the AL East, even accounting for for the imbalanced schedule. But when you look at this team's rotation and the question marks that they have, um, I don't think entering the year with Ryu and Kikuchi as the 4-5 in the rotation, many people thought the Jays would need to address starting pitching during the year. Um, Could you see them doing that, or is is this still more of a you got to bolster the bullpen uh, on the priority list for you. Yeah. I, ideally it's both right. And right. and every year at the deadline, there are going to be random relievers out there. So, so that's more of the, that's the easier route to take, right? You, you can find a reliever um, or two and probably get pretty decent production down the stretch. 
I think the the harder part is is starting pitching, which is is always more in demand, and it's I I have a hard time figuring out what trade packages look like these days because some of these deals with the athletics have <laughs> have wound up with them not really getting big name prospects. That's what we're hoping now, for. Frankie Montes right. for for I don't know the eighth, eleventh, and seventeenth guy in the system, whoever they are. <laughs> like I, I don't have the list handy, but yeah, let's do it. Exactly. So, but then for whatever reason, I don't get that sense with with Montas. They they held him for this long. It, it makes me feel like, you know, either either they decided, oh, we're not going to go full tank, which I think everything else they've done suggests um, they're totally fine going full tank. I think that they're really just hoping that a team gets desperate uh, in the coming weeks and decides to make them a much better offer. And so that's, I think that's where you're going to get into trouble if if you're a Jays fan is, are you willing to part with, you know, one of the top guys in the system uh, to bring in a guy who, you know, is at best under an extra year of control maybe, um, so I think, you know, Montas is the big one that everyone's talked about. Uh, the Reds are awful. Luis Castillo could be yep. a possibility. But uh, again, I worry I worry that once you get into the season and you see these teams that maybe overperform or can see uh, a playoff spot um, in their future, that's when you start to see maybe more desperate deals on their end. Even Even if I fully support, you know, if you think you can win a World Series with Frankie Montas, give up what you need to give up. Um, I do think that the competitiveness definitely brings up the the trade offers from some of these teams. For sure. It's funny that you say that Oakland maybe isn't going to go, doesn't want to go full tank. They are in dead last in the league in a year yeah. where seven <laughs> teams are already just like, nope, we'll take the revenue sharing. We're cool. Uh, you can, you can file grievance. You can file grievances against one of us, but you can't file grievances against uh, a quarter of the league. Uh, so a team that is above that cutoff, only four games out of a wild card spot, despite being two games under 500, your Chicago White Sox. And I know you're at this point, you're a national baseball guy. So <laughs> I, I don't know how much you, you still hang on to uh, the fandom side of things. Uh, and I did tee you up as, you know, you're a disgruntled White Sox fan, but you are at least a disgruntled White Sox viewer. And so you wrote a piece uh, the other week on, on June 10th, the White Sox need to fire Tony La Russa. And that was up <laughs> yes. at Yahoo Sports. Um, so other than the explanation of they never should have hired him in the first place. Uh, walk me through why the White Sox should fire Tony Larusa. Sure. Well, so this article came out, I think the day after he issued the, the walk to the intentional walk to Trey Turner with a one and two count. Yes. Um, with I'm, just I'm the happy. most insane explanation <laughs> ever. Right. I was going to say, I'm, I'm happy to go into why that's a bad decision. I know we, we covered it a understand. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so along with that, there prior to that, or I guess the, as of that day's game, uh, Tim Anderson had been out for a while. Um, a lot of the lineups were being built with uh, Larry Garcia hitting leadoff. In fact, I think earlier in the series, the Dodgers announcers even called that out saying, you know, this is the guy you're saying deserves at least four plate appearances a game. Uh, he, he's hitting something awful. I think his his WRC plus was 
uh, you know, 20 something last time I checked. So, or, or maybe, I don't know. It was, it was definitely below it's 29 so, right okay, now good. is WRC plus. And he has walked twice the entire season. Right. So lineup certainly was an issue that, that did change. I, I will give him credit for that. That has changed since then. Um, AJ Pollock is hit in the leadoff spot a little more. He hasn't had a great year, but I, I would think he's going to be a much better player than Garcia moving forward. Um, he did some weird off day stuff early where Andrew Vaughn would get a lot of off days and hit seventh in the order, even though he, he very quickly looked like a much improved hitter. Yeah. Number Uh, one enemy here in Toronto after that last series, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his, he's really been fantastic after, after last year, um, showing some promise, but mostly leaving a lot of questions uh, on the table. And then I think just pitching wise, you know, there are some weird bullpen decisions. I also think in that game where he issued the the one, two walk, um, he let Dylan cease throw, I think 40 something pitches in an inning. <laughs> He's done that with Michael Kopech this year, which really worries me because Michael Kopech, um, certainly on an innings limit and hasn't really pitched much the last two or three years. So that that's a big concern for me. And then I think he did the same thing with Giolito last year. So I just, it's, it's a combination of, of everything combined with them underperforming in general. Um, he just, he has not covered himself in glory <laughs> and, you know, while, while clearly he can take notes on, on lineup. Um, I think the other issues are, are maybe something that the front office controls a, a little less, right? It, yeah. During a game, if, if he, decides to leave Cease out there, not much the front <laughs> office can do in that moment. No. Um, here's my issue with the Tony La Russa thing, and this was my issue back to the very hiring throughout this. And, yeah, if he was making smart management decisions and putting the White Sox in positions to win, maybe you could look past this. I don't think there's ever been a greater misalignment of coolness between the roster mm-hmm. and the manager. 100%. Yeah, I mean... Like they should be one of the most popular teams in baseball. Absolutely. And you know, it, it helps when Tim Anderson is healthy. Yes. He's supposed to be back tonight. So that That is amazing news. Thank you for that. Yeah. He, he is supposed, well, I had heard Monday. Um, he's, he's supposed to be back extremely soon. I think today, but, um, and, and then also, you know, Eloy Jimenez is, is a fun guy to, to watch when he's going and he's been injured too. Um, there have been some, there's been some buzz that he's getting closer to coming back to. I don't know how imminent that is, but, um, you know, they, they have been playing with a couple injuries with that Mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, I, I think a, they, they still should be playing better. I also think that for as much as I criticize Tony Larusa, um, you know, their general manager, Rick Hahn has, has not done a great job with the. He's done a, a really good job with 80% of the team and then the the additional 20%, and this has been a constant thing with him, has been these cheap veteran, usually past their prime pickups who really don't do much. And then you're stuck in a scenario where you're, you're kind of playing stars and scrubs. And when you have injuries, like any team, that really puts you behind the eight ball because you already go into every game with two zeros uh, at the plate 
well, now when Tim Anderson's out, when Eli Jimenez is out, suddenly you only have four pretty reliable hitters, and that's a major problem. It is. So I, I actually wanted to ask you about one of those older guys, and I know that this doesn't this doesn't apply exactly to what you were saying because he had a very good year last year. He was with this team, but uh, they gave Lance Lynn a two-plus-one this offseason. He just made his first appearance, and... and it didn't look great. I, I think Lance Lynn has enough of a track record that we give him some some runway there to figure it out. But what was the deal with the the blow up in the dugout after that one? The you know the speculation there was he was upset about the team shifting. Uh, I think he gave up one or two hits that inning um, that you know would have been outs had the team not been in extreme an extreme shift, and so. He was having it out with, uh, I, I think, their third base coach, Joe McEwing, who, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i generally, I think, generally shifting is, is a good thing for a, a team's defense. I, I do think you're playing the odds. It's a smart idea. Um, I, I can understand why Lynn was upset about it. I also feel like, you know, this is what every team does, man. So <laughs> you got to deal with that. Um so I'm not questioning the strategy. I I will question uh, Joe McEwing's uh, sending guys from third base. That that has been a major problem, and and really uh, hasn't hasn't helped the the offensive struggles. Um, so I I did I don't know that I answered your question, and I, I brought it to a different area. But um, you know that that also has been a frustrating aspect of watching this team. Um, so okay, so we we don't really know what to expect from Lance Lynn tonight. He didn't look great in that in that last appearance, and didn't look super sharp in his, or the stat lines didn't look super sharp in his rehab uh, appearances. We'll also see Dylan Cease against Kevin Gosman tomorrow in what's a really nice pitching matchup. We didn't see Cease here in, in Toronto because uh, he's not vaccinated and went on the restricted mm-hmm. list. And then we've got Russ Stripling against Lucas Giolito in the, the series finale. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Giolito because he's, I mean, first of all, he's just kind of a, a fascinating guy as a first round pick who took at least a little bit to, to figure it out. It was kind of his fourth turn through the majors when, when things started to click. He's had a bit of a rough start to this year by his standards. Um, what's what's going on with, with Giolito? Because it, it can't be just the, the slight uptick in walks. Yeah, his season has been bizarre. He, so I, I've, I've tried to kind of pinpoint exactly what's going on here because he, the strikeouts are still there, right? When when his stuff works, guys are swinging and missing. Um, as you said, the walks are higher, so it, it is a problem. Is it, you know, something that he that is going to continue the whole season? Um, he's shown a, a better ability to to cut down on on walks. I, I think the the bigger issue, and it and it is somewhat hard to explain, but it's. When he's getting hit, he's giving up extremely loud contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is that an issue of location? Um, is that maybe tied to mechanics? Because even when he, in in 2018, when he was literally the worst pitcher in, in the <laughs> league, he had a 613 ERA, um, he he wasn't giving up contact, this, this much hard contact, um, guy's success against his his fastball and other pitches weren't this bad. So it it leads me to believe that it's either a a mechanical thing that is maybe causing him to miss his spots more, which is leading to the walks. 
Um, it could potentially be a, a tipping thing where, where guys are sitting on certain pitches and, and noticing what he's doing. Because the other thing in all this is um, his changeup, which previously, uh, you know, I would say one of the best changeups in baseball easily, mm-hmm. uh, a top five changeup, has been really bad this year. And so I have a hard time thinking a, a guy who has shown it now uh, over multiple seasons suddenly lost you know, the, the ability to use that changeup as a, as a weapon. It should not be one of the worst changeups in baseball after, after the last two seasons. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, to pinpoint the exact problems, but the, the issue is when guys are, are hitting him, I mean, they are rocketing the ball around the field. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. When you look into the stack cast data and there's this uh, expected weighted on base average on contact. So take the strikeouts out of it and uh, the walks out of it. And just when guys make contact uh, it's almost 500. So (laughs) it's uh it's like enough that there's a stat cast error when you try to look at the percentile rank. That's how hard he's been hit. If you can get a hold of it and the slider in particular has been compared to last year tattooed. So maybe there's a tipping thing there. Maybe I, I've got to look more into the release points. Maybe there's a, a tunneling thing there where he's given it away a little early. Uh, Chris, I have two lighter ones for you before I let you go. First, I'm going to the white Sox game on Saturday. Any recommendations at the park or in and around the park? I've been before, but I haven't been for a couple years. Uh, They have surprisingly good food, I I will say. Um, They have a Cuban sandwich, which is is actually okay. Um, Oh, they had a, you know, I might have to uh, hit you on Twitter with this, but they had a a burger, a special burger last year that was actually, it's probably better than the Cuban. So maybe I'll send that to you on Twitter, but... uh, yeah, they surprisingly, surprisingly good food. <laughs> I will report back on that one. Speaking of food at the game, you retweeted a photo of a couple eating spaghetti at the Orioles game out of a Ziploc bag. So some people don't know this, but at Rogers Center here, you can bring in food. I have you. We've seen some weird stuff over the years. Obviously, people bring in hot dogs or a pizza or some wings or whatever. Uh, a charcuterie board I've seen before. What is the weirdest thing? Like, where is the line for you? You're coming to a Jays game. You're bringing in your own food. What's the weirdest thing you'd be comfortable bringing in? Oh, the weirdest thing I'd be comfortable bringing in. Like, where is the line of like, okay, I'd be embarrassed to be seen eating this at a ball game and bringing it in myself. And then what's just on the other side of that? Like, I mean, if spaghetti is too far for you out of a Ziploc bag? Well... The the concept of pasta in a bag, <laughs> I mean it 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 does it's a weird thing to me. Also, you know it's going to be lukewarm at best, right? So, I the pasta is just so weird. It's just a yeah. weird thing to eat out of a plastic bag. It's I like it's literally a-, a bit in it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's how that's how <laughs> silly it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would say something like yogurt, but I wouldn't do that. I, I would yeah. stay away from dairy in in any way possible. So yeah, out in out in the heat at a game. Yeah, <laughs> right. And look, don't get me wrong. Yeah. If you have kids at the game with you and you bring a cooler or backpack in, whatever you can get your kids to eat, like sure. I I don't have kids. I don't know what that struggles like. But yeah, as two adults <laughs> heading in. Charcuterie board is the worst one I've seen of just like you, you overdid it, Jake. Uh, and yeah, spaghetti might be a step too far unless, I don't know, maybe Camden has microwaves available and we don't know about it. 
Uh, you know, now that we've we've talked it out a little bit, I fish, right? I yeah. Mean, no one's bringing in reheated salmon or you know leftover fish and chips. Yeah, that you, you grab awful. some sushi at the gas station on your way in, and <laughs> I mean, I I could almost excuse sushi, but if it's like if it's leftover, yeah, salmon from last night that is again lukewarm, that worries me more. Yeah, it's a it's a rough one. Uh, all right, our I I'm not bringing my own food in in Chicago. I will take your recommendations. Uh, you could DM me later for for what to check out at the White Sox game. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Hope your White Sox turn it around after <laughs> this series. Uh, and thank you for the news. Uh, I, I did confirm Tim Anderson is expected back tonight. They, we don't have a lineup out yet, so we don't know if he'll be uh, in the lineup. But that was the expectation as of yesterday. Chris Wick, Yahoo Sports. Uh, all-around good dude, Pokemon master. Thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon. Yes, thank you too, and have a great time in Chicago, and I hope that the games are at least close and exciting. It's Baltimore, so it won't be a good game, but it'll be a game, and uh, <laughs> it's a nice park. So, look, it's this is the, the one nice thing about games on the road is, like, it's uh, like I'm not super invested. If it's a terrible game, I could just go do something else. There's There's a lot going on in Chicago this weekend. There you go. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Chris Wick, associate manager at Yahoo Sports, uh, formerly of Fangraphs and a bunch of other cool places. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Chris underscore Swick, C-W-I-K. Cool news that Tim Anderson could be back tonight. We missed him last series. Uh, The White Sox maybe can crawl back toward health. Yasmani Grandel, Eloy Jimenez, and three members of their bullpen, including Liam Hendricks, still on the IL. We don't have a Jays lineup yet. As a reminder, it's a 8-10 start tonight because they're in Chicago. There's a one-hour time difference. Ben Wagner has the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network for first pitch at 8-10. Um, it'll be Show Ali doing post-game Jays talk for you three of the games this week. He's going to do Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I got Wednesday for that afternoon game and uh, no Jays game Thursday. It's their only day off in what feels like a month uh, ahead. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll see. Maybe there's a Jays lineup out. Whether it is or not, we'll go through the Lance Lynn scouting report. We'll see how Jose Barrios matches up with the White Sox. And we'll continue to take your text at 590-590. Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, the fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We got a Toronto Blue Jays lineup. They'll start a series with the Chicago White Sox tonight at 8-10. Ben Wagner has a call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Jose Barrios on the hill against Lance Lynn. Here's how the Jays will line up. George Springer in center field. Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at DH. Teoscar Hernandez. Rymel Tapia hitting fifth in left field. Santiago Espinal sixth and playing second. Matt Chapman, Gabriel Moreno. Catches and hits eighth. Kevin Biggio rounding it out, playing first base, hitting ninth. So two lefties in the lineup opposite Lance Lynn. Uh, more or less what you've come to expect from the Jays, other than uh, Kirk getting the day off after catching the last two. 
Moreno and Barrios have uh, trended in the right direction. So let's see if that can keep up. Chris Black, our pal who will be on tomorrow with Joe Siddle uh, and I, uh, at Down to Black, pointing out that Jose Barrios appears to be through a little bit of his dead arm uh, and also how changing his release point a little bit uh, may have helped him turn around his season. Uh, three very good starts in a row. Well, two very good starts and one pretty good start in a row. Although I'd say the one against Baltimore was great process, good swing and miss stuff, uh, not ideal results, but he still gave you seven. Anytime he's given you seven, you feel pretty good. So the starting pitch matchups for this series Jose Brios against Lance Lynn, Kevin Gosman against Dylan Cease, Ross Stripling against Lucas Giolito. Uh, we just spoke to Chris Swick of Yahoo Sports about Giolito's struggles and what that's looked like. Uh, a lot of hard contact, so you have that to look forward to with Wednesday's afternoon game. I would expect the Jays are going to announce a roster move at some point here as well uh, to refresh the bullpen a little bit. Could see Platinum Max Castillo getting sent down after uh, being used out of the bullpen yesterday. You're also looking at a pretty tired back end of the Jays bullpen where Jordan Romano, Jimmy Garcia, and Adam Simber all threw a lot of pitches yesterday, and Tim Mays has been used on consecutive days. That would mean David Phelps and Trent Thornton are your your trusted arms back there. Matt Gage also available. You'd think they'd want some reinforcements. I talked this through with, with J.D. Bunkus and Sam McKee on the fan morning show this morning about why the over-under for this game was at nine. It seemed a little high at first blush. Um, but when you get into the fact that the Jays bullpen is quite heavily worked from yesterday, might be calling up yet another emergency arm from AAA, uh, and the fact that Lance Lynn has struggled a little bit. He only went four and a third inning his first start of the season, didn't go past four innings on his rehab stint, and the White Sox bullpen has not been very good. They're very well rested right now, but they also have Liam Hendricks, Bummer, and Crick all out. Uh, for their bullpen. So three of their higher leverage arms, three of their more trusted arms in the bullpen. Uh, they also have Yasmani Grandel and Eloy Jimenez on the IL. Tim Anderson is expected to be activated today. Uh, we haven't heard the official word yet, uh, but that'll be fun. Maybe not for Jose Barrios. I uh, I don't love the, the Tim Anderson matchup uh, in that regard, but... What can you do? It's not even that bad, honestly. It, it just feels like Tim Anderson has had uh, big moments against Jose Barrios. If you go back to the entire sample and not just the the recent sample, um, Tim Anderson's nine for 36 against Barrios with only one extra base hit. You're more than fine with that. That's a 538 OPS. You trust the larger sample there when it comes to a hitter versus pitcher. And boy, does Jose Barrios have a lot of hitter versus pitcher sample against the White Sox, 199 plate appearances between Jose Barrios and White Sox who will be active today. They posted a sub 300 expected weighted on base average. So that's based on stack cast data and looks at things like uh, the quality of contact and Barrios having a 25.1% strikeout rate in those plate appearances. Uh, so pretty good. Having said that, Jose Abreu has had a nice time against Barrios. Uh, 839 OPS, three home runs, over 58 plate appearances. Juan Moncada uh, has been even better in a slightly smaller sample. Six extra base hits 
over 45 plate appearances, a 615 slugging against Brios. Now, what that means is that just about every other White Sox has performed poorly against Brios because the overall numbers are fairly solid. Um, You're looking at Lurie Garcia, Engel, Mendick. They've all struggled against Barrios in the past. Uh, The White Sox as a whole struggling against right-handed pitching, just an 87 WRC plus against righties this year. So that means uh, they've been about 13% below league average against right-handed pitching. We'll keep an eye out for their lineup. Um, little odd for the the away team to have theirs up first, but what are you going to do? They might be waiting to see if Tim Anderson's 100% ready to go or something like that. Uh, So this is how Lance Lynn lines up against the Blue Jays. Again, he just made his season debut last time out, gave up three runs, 10 hits over four and a third, Uh, looked kind of shaky, didn't go past four innings on any of his three rehab starts. So who knows how long he can go? I mentioned uh, that while the pen is rested, it is thinned out with injuries for the White Sox. So if you can get the Lance Lynn early, uh, you like your chances of piling up runs here. Now, if Lance Lynn starts to figure it out and you get last year's version, that's a very good pitcher. He had a 27% strikeout rate, just a 7% walk rate, 269 ERA last year, and all of his component ERA metrics uh, suggest he should have been sub four, maybe even sub three and a half. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of info to suggest there that Lance Lynn is anything but the Lance Lynn you saw at that point. If you're looking for an explanation as to why Lance Lynn may not be that Lance Lynn, other than just well, he's working his way back. His velo was down one and a half miles an hour last time out. Um, he mixes three different fastballs, a, a four seamer, a cutter and a sinker. He'll also throw change up curveball, but only in small doses. It's more about having three different fastballs that move differently and can tunnel. Well, if he loses a little bit of velocity off of that main four seamer, the cutter and the sinker might not play as well. Um, we saw him use a more balanced repertoire Last time out, but that might be because the fastball and sinker were getting rocked pretty badly. For the most part, this is about Lance Lynn mixing three different fastballs pretty well uh, and then showing you a changeup and a curveball just to keep you honest. Uh, sometimes it gets swing and miss, but his fastball, his four-seamer last year, actually played really well as a swing and miss pitch. Uh, again, it's not necessarily that it was coming in last year at 94, his first start here, 92 and a half. That's not going to get you alone. It's that it can be tough to tell if it's the four seamer, the cutter or the sinker coming out of his hands. And then sometimes even the change up in the curveball. The Blue Jays have faced Lance Lynn a fair amount, 105 plate appearances against them as a team, 309 expected weighted on base average. So not the greatest of results. And they've struck out in th- over 34% of their appearances against Lance Lynn. If this is the recent historic version of Lance Lynn, the Jays don't line up super well. If it's the version of him that that has shown through three rehab starts and in his first appearance this year, maybe you'll like your chances a little bit more. Uh, George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Matt Chapman all have a solid enough sample against him. Boba Shedd and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Ha- have struggled a little bit which may explain why Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not in the lineup today. Ryan Maltapia in left field and hitting fifth instead. And Teoscar Hernandez has had a rough time against him. Not the largest of samples in the world, 
but something to keep an eye on, especially on a day with no Alejandro Kirk in the cleanup spot. Teoscar back in the four spot there. Gabriel Moreno gets another shot. It's hard. I know it's been over a week now. It's hard not to still get excited when Gabriel Moreno is getting a start. It's it's a lot of fun. Like enough that I have friends text me on the weekend like, oh, why is Moreno not playing? And we know the answer. It's that you can't catch every day. Alejandro Kirk still has to get in there. Uh, he's Manoa's guy for the most part. But Moreno's been fun. He's been fun trying to control the run game. He still has only struck out once in 20 plate appearances, which is borderline impossible in 2022. A nice 421 batting average. All that stuff will come back down to earth. Maybe the defense doesn't. He, he's very good defensively, it looks like. Uh, the athleticism plays, surely you've heard the term pop time by now. Uh, I don't know that the White Sox will run a ton against him. We'll see what lineup they have out there. Gabriel Moreno's a... Uh, it's a fun watch. Should be a fun one tonight. And and Jose Brios on the other side. Uh maybe a little bit of a, a surprise there that that's the pairing. But they've they've kind of juggled these. Uh they don't want to be locked into any pitcher catcher relationships uh necessarily. So not anything other than Manoa and, and Kirk, which I think is just what they're gonna do for right now. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at any combination. Um, maybe we'll get a Danny Jansen update at some point today as well. The Jays have tended to uh, provide injury updates on the first day of a road trip. So we'll keep an eye out for that. But they might come with the later start tonight. They may come uh, after we're off the air, if that's the case, though. We'll have you covered later, of course. Um, ben Wagner on the call, 8-10 first pitch. Show Ali coming to you post game with Blair and Barker off shows also got a pregame today, seven to eight. So you can tune into that uh, before the game to get all of those lineup updates and any injury updates that are out there. I think that sets up today. Well, let's take a look at the text line. You can keep those coming for 10 minutes at five ninety five ninety. We were talking to people a little bit earlier about uh, the old black blue Jays jerseys and, and everyone wanting to burn the red ones. Uh, we got a couple more texts in the text line. Rick in Stouffville says, it's not the color of the jerseys that makes them so horrible. It's the fact that they're so starkly different from the other jerseys. It signals to everyone it's a special occasion. Uh, and your brain is telling you that something is different today. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know. We see this a lot in the NBA. And I, I don't know that there's a, a ton of evidence that the jersey affects things that way. But when it's a really rare one, maybe it is. Scott Newmarket says Lyle Overbay is the one he thinks of with the black jerseys. Uh, that's a good one as well. Derek behind the board uh, provided us the information earlier that despite Ben Nicholson Smith's guess, Casey Jansen was not second in saves during that era. Behind BJ Ryan was Kevin Gregg. Kevin Gregg was behind BJ Ryan. 2012, Casey Jansen took over as the closer to usher in a new era of jerseys. George from Caledonia asks, uh, how about calling up Ricky Tiedemann? Uh, a little early, a little early for that. Some good signs on the weekend though. He struggled a little bit. If you follow our pal, Doug Fox at future blue Jays, he was kind of live tweeting through uh, Tiedemann's most recent start. Didn't have his best stuff, but still managed to put up a, a pretty strong performance. And that's, I mean, you don't look for 
a young player to struggle. You'd rather he just be awesome every time out. But he scattered three hits and two walks over four innings and still managed to give up zero earned runs. Um, Doug was tweeting that he was getting, Tiedemann was getting squeezed a little bit, still struck out seven guys. The truth is, though, he's 19 years old and he's at high A. Uh, he's not coming anytime soon, George from Caledonia. MP in Scarborough says, next year's City Connect jersey, any color combo, just make everyone the number six. Uh, nope. We are not doing that. We are not uh, doing that. Number six, like someone can have number six, sure. But you can't have a team full of number sixes. It's Alec Manoa's. What are you going to do? Everyone's in Manoa's jersey. Everyone's in Travis Shaw's jersey. Jeff Mathis's jersey. That's a legendary number. Howie Clark. Come on. Gustavo Chassin is who Clinton in Newmarket thinks of with the black uniform. That's a good one, too. Chassin's come up a couple times lately in the text line. Uh, he was also the some people's answer to when we had Josh Towers on, and I asked, who is the one pitcher that you saw a disproportionate amount of times? It felt like they were on the mound every time you went to a game. Although in Chassin's case, at least you got the cologne. Jeff from Sarnia wants the Jays to go with the black jerseys just with a new design. That'd be okay. Um, this is a Ian. I'm sorry. I can't get to your question today. Try to ask it again tomorrow. I'll research that one. That's one that uh, requires a little bit more research about the Jays doing the home run cycle on Sunday. They hit for a solo, a two run, a three run and a four run. Uh, Jordan in East Garafraxa wants a hybrid Jersey. Uh, again, similar to the comment from Jeff and Sarnia mix a couple of the old, the older designs, uh, together, um, Mark in Prince Edward County says the indigenous inspired Jersey making the rounds on social should be the city connect Jersey. Glad you said so Mark, because the artist who designed that is going to join us tomorrow on the show. We'll talk about what went into that design, uh, and whether that's, uh, actually, uh, a possibility. Brian and Whitby says he wants the angry bird Jersey back. The angry bird is, Angry Bird is a, I think that's the black jersey one, but there's also the jacked, like the muscle J. So when you say angry, I think it is toothpaste J and muscle J are, are the two J's to me. So I apologize, Brian, if I don't know uh, exactly which one you mean, but either way, an angry bird, a jacked bird, the steroid bird, uh, Corey Woodstock wants a whole rotisserie chicken. Uh, oh, that's what he would bring into the game. I lost track of, what we had been talking about today. Um, long live the muscular bird on the tee. Someone else says, uh, someone else says Scott Downs is who they think of in the black jersey. Lots of fun ones in the text line today. Um, <laughs> someone in North York says I should uh, take every fifth day off for rest, given the number of shows I'm doing now. Matt from Toronto says Rios is the guy he thinks of. Uh, keep those texts. Well, we'll do a lot of texts tomorrow as well. And again, on Thursday, um, it's always fun when you guys get those coming. A uh, little bit more of a of a real analysis question here. Uh, this one's from Kyle in London. Can you explain why the Jays seem hesitant to trade Pearson? He can't stay healthy, has shown glimpses of being good, but also very inconsistent. We've seen this before with Sanchez, and I don't understand why they wouldn't move him while he still has some value as a prospect. Uh, Kyle, it, it's fair, and obviously each time he gets dinged or, or hits the 
the pause button on his development again, it looks worse that you, you didn't maybe deal him before. I think the answer is twofold. One is that the version of Pearson that hits and works out is a really valuable thing. It's either a back-end arm that throws gas or it's a multi-inning reliever. Uh, maybe the starter thing is is behind you now. The other part of it, though, is that if you're low on Pearson and you see the injury track record and that he's not throwing 9,900 anymore uh, with with consistency, other teams are seeing that too. So it's kind of a Schrodinger situation where as soon as you become willing to deal Pearson as a prospect, his prospect value has gone down and you maybe don't get a ton back for him. So that's uh, that's always part of the thing with dealing prospects or dealing anyone is the other side has information on them as well. They have scouts at those games. They have uh, people tracking the stats. So it's not always that straightforward. Still no White Sox lineup for us yet. Oh, Josh says Frank Thomas, 500th home run is what he thinks of with the black jersey. Uh, that's a good one. That's a fun one. The Big Hurt, who's now uh, all about those weird pills on TV commercials. Uh, let's go through the Jays lineup once more before we let you go here. Oh, yeah, and that's that's a good one. Uh, this person didn't sign theirs, but a good response uh, to the person who wanted to trade Pearson. Look at Lucas Giolito, similar situation. You hold on to the guys with upside. And I will say at least Giolito was pitching regularly. He pitched very poorly, but he was able to stay on the field. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing for development is you've got to be getting the reps. If you're constantly working your way back from injury, that's a different type of pitching than just focusing on developmental and working through some of your struggles and, and figuring uh, your things out. Danny in Toronto suggests I have a deep fried Mac and cheese when I'm at the white Sox park. I, I'll take a look for that. That's a, uh, that's a heavy one at one in the afternoon, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, again, your Jays lineup for today, opposite Lance Lynn, George Springer in center, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero jr. At DH Teoscar Hernandez, Rymel Tapia hitting fifth and in left field. Santiago Espinal, Matt Chapman, Gabriel Moreno catches Jose Barrios and hits eighth. Kevin Biggio hitting from the left side, uh, playing first base. Two lefties in the lineup against Lance Lynn, Lourdes Gurriel, and Alejandro Kirk, the guys who draw out. Otto Lopez allegedly exists on the bench. And uh, Bradley Zimmer's kicking around. Today is the first day that teams can only carry 13 pitchers. The Jays made that move a couple days in advance with the Otto Lopez call-up. And to answer one more text in the text line that I said I'd do the research on, Ben Wagner comes through with this. The Blue Jays hit for the home run cycle. The other occurrence was June 8th, 1993 against the California Angels. And then they did it June 19th against the Yankees. Uh, it was Roberto Alomar, Darren Jackson, John Olerud, and Joe Carter with the home run cycle on that date. Darren Jackson's actually going to join us tomorrow. So what a what a kismet thing there. It didn't exactly answer the question, but uh, a little home run cycle trivia for you there. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the great texts in the text line today. We'll be back tomorrow with Blue Jays Talk 3 to 5, and we'll take your texts then. Thanks to you to JR and Derek behind the glass. Thanks to Chris Swick and Ben Nicholson-Smith for joining us. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Joe Siddle, Chris Black, Darren Jackson, Matt Muse, a local artist, and Show Ali has you postgame. This has been Blue Jays Talk. I'm Blake Murphy, Sports at 590, The Fan.